Welcome to Data Hurdles, a weekly podcast where we explore the impacts data and technology have on our day-to-day lives. My name is Michael Burke. And I'm Chris Detzel. <laughs> Welcome to another uh, Data Hurdles. Uh, I'm Chris Detzel and... I'm Michael Burke. How you doing, Chris? Pretty good, Michael. And, you know, we're, we're trying this new way of doing audio and video with Riverside, so I'm pretty excited about it. How about you? Yeah, I hope my voice just sounds incredible and, like, articulate. It's going to make me say better things, right? Well, I don't, I don't know about that, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I was doing a lot of uh, thinking around kind of our next topic area, and, and it's funny because when you deal with the the world of data, one, some of the biggest things that are going on right now is AI and ML and how companies like product companies are embedding and thinking about AI and ML and, and how they're going to adopt it and all of these things. And, and there's been a little bit of, um, I don't know if it's fear, you know, maybe it's always fear at first, but, and, and maybe it's for good reason, maybe it's not, but uh, one topic that seems to, keep popping up and i'll give a little thing in a little while but is generative ai you're probably better at saying that but you know so i want to just try to kind of think about hey you know what is and and have you kind of answer some of these but what is generative generative shit i can't even say it ai and you know what are some of the risks you know what are people thinking you know like if you're a banking company or if you're a you know uh insurance company or things like that, what's the benefits, but what are the risks? Why are people so scared and, and things like that? So I just kind of um, thought I would just start t- talking to you as the expert on, you know, what is it, you know, first of all, and then, you know, let's go, let's go deeper into this. Yeah, sure. So, you know, first of all, for those that don't know what generative AI is, uh, if you have used a chat GPT or any of these other big, large language models, It's a really good use case or kind of example of generative AI. Really what it is, is a branch of artificial intelligence that focuses on creating models um, and creating content from that, generating new original content. So when you think of like a traditional model, you may have like used linear regression to like forecast something in an Excel. That's taking existing information and trying to do something with it, right? Um, but with generative AI, the primary goal is to generate new content that's realistic and coherent, uh, and similar to the training data, right? Um, so that's why when you ask ChatGPT, G, ChatGPT a question, wow, um, you get these realistic <laughs> answers that are driven off of real yeah. data is because it's mimicking something that it read or interpreted in the real world. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, how, you kind of explained how it worked, but how does let's go deeper into about how that really works. Yeah. So there are, you know, when you think about how does AI work and like, you know, we're probably going to have a couple of data scientists on the call, so we'll touch over this quickly, but like it's deep learning techniques, right? So if you think of generative adversarial networks, GANs, you may have heard this term before, or VAEs or recurrent neural networks, these are all types of models that could be used to do generative AI work. And really all that they're doing is they're learning patterns and structures of existing content to try to generate new content. So 
you know, obviously that's why when you train a model like this, you need these huge amounts of information if you want to create high quality outputs like what ChatGPT has. Um, and this data, when you're trying to train, this goes through a lot of processes to kind of cleanse and unify and standardize it into ways that it can be used for a generative AI model. And a really good example of this is if you think about an image, right? Think of a 256 by 256 pixel image as an example. Yeah. Well, every pixel has a color value, right? Which let's say is from zero to 255. Really it's three numbers like that, but that is a data point that a generative AI model could consume. So to transform a picture into a bunch of values of color would be one way that you could do generative AI on images, right? Another example yeah. of text is you're taking words and combinations and pairs of words and generating tokens, right, is what we call it. And a sequence of tokens might make up a phrase or a sentence that has meaning in some specific pattern that the model is supposed to recognize and identify. Um, I hope that was clear. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned at the very beginning, like, three different type of generative Generative? Yeah, generative AIs. <laughs> can't say the word today. Uh, but that's pretty confusing what you said. So maybe, I don't know, break it down on, you know, what does it mean for real life? You know what I mean? Like you said some big words sure. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are just types of models that are identifying patterns in data, ultimately. Like okay. any machine learning model, the biggest difference is that instead of predicting something like your traditional models would do or classifying something like most of your traditional mm -hmm. models would do, this, these types of models, these generative models are actually creating content, right? Okay, got it. So, so what's the difference between uh, generative AI and other types of AI? What's kind of the you know, breakdown there? Yeah, so that's kind of exactly what we were just talking about, that you, when you look Fair at a enough. generative AI model, it's creating new content, things that it's never yeah. seen before, versus you know, a classification model is trying to put data into specific bins, or a prediction model is trying to say, you know, your stock price is $10 now, we think it's going to be 15 in a year, right? That, those are the types of models that are classic, kind of more traditional models that you see in your, more frequently in your day-to-day. Yeah, that's kind of what I was looking for, so I appreciate that. Uh, what are some application examples of applications of generative AI? I think you mentioned some of the, you know, like one of the things was images, but is there any others that you can think of? Oh, there are so many, right? So when we talk about generative AI, everybody's thinking about ChatGPT, which is just like yeah. text, you know, creating images, um, you know, Dali, Dali, if you've seen it, right? You type in a keyword and it creates an image that can be amazing representing something in the real world or for, based on those keywords. But there are so many other use cases for generative AI. You think about 3D models, right, is a really good example of a place where you're going to start to see a lot more generative AI. Movies, you're going to see more generative AI in the future. Mm -hmm. We're already seeing it being used with music, right? People are creating music with generative AI. In fact, I have a friend of mine who has been working on this project for a while of trying to create music that calms you down. Uh, and he's <laughs> using um, generative AI and a couple other strategies to do that, right? to lower his heart rate. 
uh, producing does that code work? Like, does another... it take well I, I like the code thing but when you go to the music which is more, a little bit more interesting is does it look at like past types of music and then just start looking at what might be i mean how does that work yeah it's generating it music at... yeah yeah it's generating music based off of music that it's heard right and then uh -huh. the big thing is a feedback loop of well how do you measure the heartbeat right so measuring the heartbeat or other signals that would create you know angst or or indicate that somebody is calm is using as a feedback loop so when he listens to music it's actually looking at that data and saying okay i'm learning what type of music makes you more calm right seems like you know some of the musicians might get pissed that they're taking that these <laughs> ai models are talking taking their music and combining it with other music and then just coming up with its own that's uh i don't know i mean it's the same thing as like you know blogging and writing right you know it's doing the same thing that it was doing that it's doing music and probably images and i don't know am i wrong you know i i have mixed feelings about this in some ways i'm like yeah absolutely if you're a content creator we're a content creator if somebody was creating a podcast that was regurgitating the information that we were talking about you know would i be pissed maybe but like at the same time we're all kind of learning from one another over time right yeah. And I think that if you think about your own learning process, you read information and you consume it through books or articles, and then you consolidate that information into a new thought or story, right? And so yeah. I, I still think that that is being done and has to be done. And I don't think that you're going to get like groundbreaking things um, through generative AI that are going to feel like completely complete copies of things. That's the really interesting piece about it, right? So it's a gray area, right? And there's a lot of kind of ambiguity on the pros and cons of both of that, right? I think the so thing that's a little bit scary. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think that's a little bit scary is that will this, you know, as these models get smarter and can actually generate things further and further ahead of what a human can generate, are we going to lose that talent inherently to create stuff on our own? That's the piece that scares me more than anything else. And this is getting a little sci-fi, but like as we become more and more reliant on this, will we not be able to think about how to create better and more, you know, complex content on our own because we're dependent on a machine to help us with that ideation? Do we need to though? <laughs> That's a whole other question. Do we need to, right? <laughs> um, you mentioned code, which you know that intrigues me a lot, and and the reason is because. When you when I, I've worked with a lot of or I've worked with software for a long time and uh, I've worked with, you know, different teams like developers and things like that. And a lot of times what happens with these teams is they'll start creating code on, you know, and developing different pieces of software, but then they leave and all that is missed. And then you have somebody else that comes up that may be a junior developer that doesn't know exactly what they're doing. and they might screw up some of that code and, and, you know, then they have to go back and clean it up. And, you know, so code can get messy and nasty. And, you know, I kind of see this as a huge opportunity for, uh, for AI to kind of take it for us to take advantage of from, from that standpoint. I mean, what do you think? Is, is, is that somewhat logical from my point of view? Because man, that would solve a lot of problems. It seems. I think that code all the time. 
it, it definitely would be a huge aid to a new developer. And it's not even a junior developer. Any developer is trying to learn about a code base quickly, this could be an yeah. advantage, right? If it was tuned in position properly. I think also when you think about mapping code and kind of reusability of code, there's a huge opportunity there as well of, you know, can a AI model help synthesize code and find similarities in places that it can be shrunk down and the code base could be reduced. Um, you know, we, we tend to believe that we are always able to code in perfect harmony and create reusable libraries. But the fact is, is that over a certain number of people, these models start to silo anyways, right? And developers yeah. start developing libraries that are not reusing code at an optimized pattern, right? Um, so I think that, yeah, there is a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity there for new developers and even for more experienced developers, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I, when I used to develop where I'd have to visit Stack Overflow because I had a question and I'd mm -hmm. spend 30 minutes researching something and learning something new. And yeah, that was important. But imagine if I could just say that prompt to ChatGPT, they provide an answer and I've learned it that way, right? More immediately. I think that's where... When you think copy about the paste, ability baby. to copy and paste, well, it's not even copy and paste. It's about the ability to search and understand contents, right? The context yeah. of what you're trying to accomplish. When you're searching on a search engine like Google, it's really difficult yeah. to refine the right keywords to That's understand right. the examples that you're looking for. Whereas, when a machine already understands all the code that you're working with, when you ask it a question it has all that context to be able to provide you a much more tailored answer to your needs. That's where I think the learning really cuts down. That time to learn is going to accelerate rapidly. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's intriguing to me. So how does generative AI learn and improve over time? How does that work? Right. So, you know, there's a couple ways. One is, you know, the model complexity. As, it, as the model learns more, collects more information, is trained on a larger data set, right, um, you're going to see that the model complexity grows. And that means that the model will improve over time. And you think about like where generative AI models started, especially like the large language models, they were at like, you know, 4 billion, then 8 billion, that's 16, is like way in the past. I think we're at 64. I don't even know where it is right now. They're getting huge, right? And they're yeah. costing more and more money to run. But because of that, they're becoming more and more accurate and, and more generalized over time. Uh, and this is really driven by the amount of data that's been made available for these models to be trained on. But I also think that when you think about generative AI and how can it improve over time, right now we're just, we're blasting like these as general as possible models that we're creating, right? Trained on the internet. Mm -hmm where you're going to see a lot of advancements is in these specific models tuned and defined for specific use cases. And you already see Google has MedPom, MedPom 2 out, right? I think I said that right, um, which is a, is a large language model trained on healthcare data, right? Not trained on the internet, it has a specific use case. And you're going to see more of these models that are trained in specific industries on specific data that are going to provide better outcomes for those use cases because the scope of it's the model so is limited, generic. yeah, right? But the breadth of the model is much deeper. And I think that's where you're, when you talk about the future of generative AI, you're gonna see that across every industry. You're gonna see it across every industry for text, for video, for music, 
what if you had a, a you know uh, a musical AI that was trained just on classical music? Could it produce a better song than a generic machine? Probably, right? Um, so I think this is where you'll start to see some really interesting kind of um, focus and also isolation of different tasks being done at exceedingly um, more accurate or more desirable outcomes. So this brings up a question that I have around ethical or whatever, but, you know, as I kind of look at healthcare, banking, pharmaceuticals, et cetera, you know, those with all this data about people, <laughs> you know what I mean? And people's information, not just information, but, you know, like healthcare information, you know, like what, what has been wrong with them and all these other things. Are you saying that these healthcare companies, like, I mean, Google probably has a lot of this information, just feeds that information or feeds these models that information. Maybe it doesn't say Chris Detzel, but it just says, minus this person's name, here's all the information about these people. That's real. You know what I mean? Is that is that ethical? Is that right? I don't know. So one thing that I always want to pull back on is I would not think of the models as ethical or unethical. I would think of the way that we prepare data to be the mm -hmm. most important piece in that, right? Yeah. If you are a hospital and you are using information from, you know, hundreds of thousands of patients anonymously to train a model on brain tumors, right? And it's going to better society and and be better at detecting brain tumors than anything in the past, right? Is that a good thing? Is it is data being used in the right ways? You know, what and and really when you're developing any kind of data concept or structure, you really have to think about, you know, what is the absolute worst case scenario and best case scenario that we could create by deploying this model today, right? So you think of something like a brain tumor model, it's, you know, what if it was, it, obviously the worst is that it's just predicting things wrong and causing bodily harm to a lot of people. But when you think <laughs> about like from a data perspective, what happens if that model was reverse engineered and somebody was able to extract some of that information, that personal information? What would we be exposing? And what is the risk associated with those potential exposures? That's the kind of questions that I'd ask myself, right? And what steps did we take as an organization to protect that information, right? Did we anonymize it in some way? Was there a way to anonymize it? Obviously, removing things like names and social security numbers tied to that information is important, but what about city and state, right? What if you're trying to look at, uh, or gender, right? Are these things that would play an impact in this detection model? Probably not for brains, but you never know, right? You never know what features are going to provide relevant signal um, to create an outcome. And I think that's yeah, but where- not, not for brain, not for brain, dude, but, but for over time, as this model continues to learn and you're feeding it, you know, I would think that, hey, it's, it could use that information for something else later, right? Not, you know, right now, okay, we're just looking at brain tumors, right? But later on, it could be looking for something like, how many people uh, within uh, Dallas, Texas at this zip code are having this thing? And are they male? Are they female? Or, you know, well, let's, let's dial in more in their location. What's their address? You know what I mean? So I think, I think right. over time, you, you still got to be careful about that because it's just, once it's in there, like, it's done. 
you have to be incredibly careful and you have to think, you have to be forward thinking with understanding what are the ramifications on what I'm doing today and how will they impact things in the future. 100% agree with that. And, you know, on top of that, you know, data in general, I think the best and most, most forthcoming way that you can do that is be fully transparent with people on how you're using this information up front, right? It's one thing to make a mistake. You know, many companies have made mistakes with information in the past and they will continue to into the future. It's another thing when you aren't transparent about how and why you're using information when you collect it. And to me, as a as a consumer, I think that being made aware of more of that is important, right? Yeah, and, you know, it's it's tricky because think about how you're aware of certain things. It's like, oh, well, accept these terms and conditions, boom, go. You know what I mean? Nobody reads the terms and conditions. They just click accept. So my thinking is, is that is that really making you aware of it? I mean, you could, I mean, you should read it, but who reads this? 500 page document of terms and conditions, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I'm yeah, afraid well, that that's all that's going to be. You know, I think that, and that's a serious problem, right? But you also have to think about all of these other ways that we're starting to protect people better. Like right to forget is a great one. I no longer, I've realized that I disagree with the way that you're using my data. I want you to remove it from your systems, please. And you can request that. Um, you know, these abilities to track data better, metadata analysis, this whole idea of being able to understand how data is being used within a company, right? Mm -hmm. These types of tools are emerging because trans transparency is being driven through regulation. And even though it's a lagging function right now, people are asking those questions. They are becoming more concerned about how their information is being used. And they're starting to see the ramifications of not having due diligence when they share information, right? from data breaches to, you know, being overly targeted with ads to bias. There's a lot of things happening right now and people aren't as, they are more aware than ever compared to five or 10 years ago when nobody knew what was going on. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. What do you think, you know, all right. So the other day I was on the phone with the CIO of this big bank. And one of the things that this person said was, you know, if you use generative AI, then, you know, um, we're not going to stay with you. You know what I mean? We're not going to use any company that does that, you know? And what do you think that comes from? And and why would you think that, you know, a CIO of a bank would say that? I mean, look, people are concerned that generative AI is sparking a whole nother field of an opportunity for people to misuse data, right? If you send your data to chat GPT, even if you're, they have the proper policies and regulatory agreements and everything else, you're sending data into another server where it's being processed. For many companies, they don't want that, right? I think that the common misconceptions is that information has to go somewhere else to be processed in one of these tools. And the fact is already there's a lot of technologies where you can host these models locally. You could run them in isolated environments. You could run them on customer environments. And so what a lot of executives are doing is saying, hold on, pump the brakes. Like I need to under fully understand this until I'm ready to move forward. 
right? And my perception yeah. of it today is that I'm being exposed to a lot of risk. And if you expose me yeah. to that risk, I don't want to be a part of it. And that's, I think that's, that's honestly, uh, to, to me, that's what a, uh, you know, a CDO and a CTO should be doing, right? They're protecting their customers and they're protecting their data. And that's an authentic way to act, you know, in a lot of ways. No, I completely agree. I mean, I, I just thought, uh, what do you think, like, if you were to, and, and, and you can give a, 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 a study, not necessarily a case study, but if you think about, like, you know, some really positive things that generative AI could help a business, one is what business would it be and how can it help a business, that business, you know, whether it's banking or industry or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, look, every industry is going to benefit from generative AI. And I know that there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of wonky kind of things being talked about on the Internet. But every business will benefit from this in one way or another whether it's reducing manual labor and effort to do something. You think about how many times we look things up or we use these technologies to expedite something in our process, to creating content, to developing code faster, to fully automated processes, right? If a generative AI was properly trained with the right prompts, could it replace, I don't know, a customer's success? person you know probably not right you're always going to need people but could it replace the first line of questioning when you're doing support. customer success work support or support right you know what i mean probably yeah yeah you know what about like baseline analysis of complex scenarios probably right there's a lot of areas where i think you're going to see things start to emerge but again don't think about generative ai as what it is today with these very generic models think forward thinking yeah. about specific industry models. How would those drive change if they were really good at doing what they are doing today, generally, for a specific industry? So, as I kind of, and I, you and I have talked about this, is if you build a localized model, let's say a product company, I think every product company is gonna do this over time is, is um, in a sense, you, you always, people always need help, especially with, well, it could be any product, but let's just say an enterprise level product, right? So anybody that spends a lot of money on a product that's, you know, it's highly, it's hard to, to use sometimes, or there's a lot of code that goes into it or a lot of integrations or whatever. What I think that is, is that, um, is that we will start training some localized models specifically on the product and how it and everything that, you know, and how it works, the ins and outs and everything, right? You know, and, and so whether it's the documentation today, whether it's an online community or whether it's, you know, uh, some kind of videos that go deep into, you know, uh, into the product, which, you know, there's already generative, you could hook up an, uh, an API, or I don't know if it's API, but you could already hook that up to YouTube, right? And it gives you, spits you out a right, nice little, uh, uh, you know, summary. But what I believe is that you'll be able to go into the product, if it's a SaaS product, for example, and you'll be using it and you're like, I don't know how to do this thing. And instead of going to support, you'll just say, how do you do this with this product? And it's going to say, do this, do this. Here's the line of code. Boom. And they're going to do it and it's going to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those are the things that I see from a pro every product company should do this. You know, like I'm, I'm 
you know, would be surprised if no one's thinking about that, you know, and, and everybody should be thinking about that from a product SaaS company, I think, you know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that, again, learning everything going to be very difficult, right? Because you have to structure yeah. data for these machines to learn, and most companies won't have that data available. Learning documentation, learning support questions, learning how to better answer communities, 100%. I think those are areas where the data is in a structure that's ready for one of these models to learn, right? Um, so there is a lot of opportunity, and I think that people are going to get much more creative about designing the proper flywheels to make these prod these AIs learn more. But that's AI in general. That's not even generative AI. We are we are evolving mm -hmm. in how we think about structuring data from day one, and companies that aren't doing that are putting themselves at a severe disadvantage across the industry. Completely agree, man. I mean, it's it's just crazy how. We're hearing these companies. I mean, it's it's just the crazy buzz. And and we'll kind of end with this, but I want to kind of get your take on: Is this hype like real? And it's just all this stuff's going to really just take off in the next five. I feel like it will, but I don't know. Or you know, do we need to kind of slow down and and say, look, you know, yes, it's real. Yes, it's these things. But you know, or did you know Chat GPT and Google with Bard and stuff like that, did they just open the gates and people are just going crazy? What's going on? Let's let's talk about that yeah. for a second. It is real. It's coming. The hype it will always be the hype, and there is a massive hype curve right now, and not everything that you hear will, you know, materialize. But change is coming in the way that we do a lot of simple things in the world, and you will see that start to emerge more and more through models like generative AI. Now to your point, we do need to slow down in a lot of areas too. And I don't think we have the capability to. So I think what ha needs to happen is regulatory systems and people who are in charge of facilitating compliance and governance need to speed up because this technology is here, it's moving fast. And I don't think it will slow down for anything at this point, right? It's already out there. So everyone else has to catch up and those that are first movers that are going to jump on the bandwagon and start building with this will pull ahead for sure totally agree. well michael thanks so much uh for another day to hurdles i'm chris Dettel and i'm michael burke thanks for tuning in all right and don't forget to rate and review us we need all the ratings and reviews you can get so take care take care